Welcome everyone to the next episode of Haven of Horror. This is episode 10. Seems a little crazy uh, since the relaunch of the channel that we're 10 episodes in. Yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy, honestly. Final night of Carpenter Month. Um, Just a quick few announcements to get us started. Uh, I have launched the official Haven of Horror Discord. Uh, Milton, if you'd be so kind to create an invite link, you should have those permissions. I uh, posted in the chat for us. If anybody would like to join said Discord, if it will let Milton, he will post it. If not, I will post it here in a minute and work on that. I'm this is the first Discord I've run by myself. Still working out the kinks first, and everything. First time I've been a moderator, so uh, <laughs> uh, figure this out. Actually, the other actually, thing for, for speed, you should probably do it. I'm sorry, okay. my bad. You're fine. Yeah. Don't, don't worry, guys. We're I kind of surprised you with it. We're still in proto-development here, so uh, we're still figuring things out. But uh, we're, we're always eager to grow and learn. So uh, you, get, you get the raw development footage of everything <laughs> we're doing here. Or almost everything. Not quite everything, but, you know, mostly. Just follow that link, and it'll get you into the Discord. It's a pretty chill thing right now. It's just me, uh, Austin, and Milton, and a couple other potential future guests guests just to tease that a little bit um the other thing is uh i've continued to upload our days gone playthrough that's just me by myself probably some other gaming stuff i'm gonna do by myself is some last of us uh as well as we are bringing back the twitch channel twitch.tv subject god damn it (laughs) haven of horror uh, that's where all of our live gaming content will be, and then I'll take the VODs yeah. and chop them up. Uh, I don't know what that was, but, you know. And upload them as, as uh, Let's Plays. We're seven parts into Days Gone, and those hordes, man. Yeah. And we're one part into a little help. We need to finish that at some point. Yeah, if if neat push comes to shove, we'll just say fuck it and just do the two of it, get do it the two of us because I want to move on to until dawn at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Last of Us playthrough coming soon. Days Gone is work in the work in progress. Um, but yeah, I think those are all the announcements that we have for this week. Uh, if you're listening to this on Spotify, half of that doesn't mean anything. So thank you for listening past the. Obligatory, obligatory inter, uh, introduction, introduction and stuff. Can't speak tonight. Uh, so, Milton, we have some news. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yes, stuff is in the news, in the news, in the news. And, yeah, um, this one was just uh, published two days ago. Don't Breathe 2 and Texas Chainsaw sequel are finished and Fantastic teases producer. So, the first own brief film, we know of that, you know, but now the sequel actually has been finished, so they're now in post-production, so we'll be expecting to see those at some point. Um, They're hoping it's in theaters. I personally could not care less if they're in theaters or not. I'd almost say, let it die. Let theaters die for like the the bigger you know, blockbuster productions, but let it still be a thing for like 
you know, the novelty theater going experiences for for like, you know, famous movies. Like maybe you want to watch like the good, the bad, and the ugly, like a bunch of people in like real film. That would be that would be cool, you know, in a theater setting, something like that. But otherwise, we're past the point by this point. Just past the point by this point. I mean to say, theaters are becoming antiquated because we're we're all just streaming now. Let's just let's just move on. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. if you like the theater going experience, and you are one of those who can't wait for the theater to come back, all the more power to you. But me personally. I never need to go to a theater again. I've got a 55-inch TV sitting there behind me that watches movies just fine. <laughs> you, you got some light overexposure under your uh, arm. Yeah, there's on. a lamp behind me that's on that I forgot to turn off, but it's fine. Uh, but yeah, 55-inch uh, 4K TV, that's good enough for me. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. I haven't seen uh, A Quiet Place yet. Uh, I, I know you can shut off the podcast now. I'm a fraud. <laughs> I haven't seen either, actually. But well, but you haven't seen like any of the movies we're discussing. <laughs> it's not as if I haven't seen any of them. It's just you brought outside of the thing. Have you seen any of the movies that we've done on this show before? You before we covered them. I've heard about the Bye Bye Man. Hey, Does don't say it. Don't think it. Don't say it. Don't think it. Um, uh, Milton. Just while I'm looking at the news, keep an eye on the chat as well. Absolutely. Um, my news is a little relevant to tonight's topic, of course. This is the last week of Carpenter Month. Um, but we have a title for the Resident Evil movie and the the movies they're inspired by, sort of. They are looking at John Carpenter films when making this movie. And it's going to be titled Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City. The name is terrible, but um, he talks about uh, he drew inspiration from John Carpenter's The Fog and Assault on Precinct 13, which I think is interesting because Assault on Precinct 13, uh, I don't remember if that was on your list that you sent me, but it's about two, these, this guy and a felon, this cop and a felon being trapped in a police station. And of course, this is adapting RE2 where you're in a police station. Hmm. So that seems like an interesting way to go about it. Could work. And then, of course, the fog. You know, you're trapped in the town uh, with the monsters and the fog. I don't know. It it could all go wrong, but they're saying all the right things. Well, some of the right things. Because, I mean, sure, you're getting some good inspiration there. At the same time, let's hope we're not being derivative. That's my hope. But, hey... You know, there's there's been a lot done since Assault on Precinct 13. Like we remade Resident Evil 2, too. for instance. Yeah, and then they remade that movie with Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, I think, is it for news. Milton, what are we covering tonight? Oh, what are we covering? Can we even... Well, okay, so we'll take... I'll take one of these reviews seriously. The other one, I'm not sure if covering is going to be the right word for it. But for this week, we watched two movies, Vampires, released in 1998, and The Ghosts of Mars, released in 2000, unleashed in 2001. Okay, 
So before we get started, as you guys notice, it's just me and Milton tonight again. Austin couldn't make it. But I did want to go ahead and give uh, his scores for the Mouth of Madness and Village of the Damned, which we did last mm -hmm. week. He gave Mouth of Madness a 4.5 and Village a 3 out of 5. Um, we're hoping he'll be able to pop in for the end. If he doesn't, then I'll give his scores for Vampires and Ghost of Mars as well. But I believe you wanted to start with Vampires, uh, Milton. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Vampires? Okay, so... Um... I, I guess to uh, summarize the plot of Vampires, um, a team of... I'm actually going to pull up the characters' names again, because unfortunately, John Carpenter does not create memorable character names. That is something that has always been a problem. Not that I don't enjoy his films anyway, but it's just... It's just not well, something... And I, I, think, I think that's a problem with all of his, almost all of his movies. I think on paper, but, his characters aren't very memorable, but then he gets actors that, like, make them memorable. Yes, yeah, so to his credit, he does a bit more with this one with John Jack Crow. That's one I do remember, because played by James Woods. So there, who does a very memorable performance there. Other casting as co-stars are T Daniel Baldwin as Tony Montoya, Cheryl Lee as Katrina... And a lot of other famous actors, yeah, well, or at least somewhat famous actors. We got, for instance, uh, one of the actors who stars in like a co-stars in Batman Begins. Um, I forget his name though. Um, yeah, uh, I don't uh, know his name either, but he's like a character actor that pops up in things. Yeah, uh, he was Flash. If that's who you're talking about. Oh, Mark Boone Jr. Mm. as a Catlin. Yeah. It was kind of criminally short, I feel. He, we could have... I guess for the purpose of this sort of thing, I'm fine with it, I guess, but I would have still liked to see more Junior, if yeah. I had, if I'd be honest. Um, but yes, the uh, story goes along. Um, we already have this edit context uh, going in, understanding that this is something that has been going on for a while. Vampire Hunters. There's a lot of conventions that film viewers are already familiar with. The film was aware of this, and they address it a bit by basically saying, here are the rules for vampires. You can stun them with a stake in the heart and kill them that way, but yeah. to truly kill them, you have to expose them to sunlight. Pretty simple, pretty effective. Um, there are several teams like throughout the world, and they're all here to try to basically call the vampire menace because these vampires are truly monsters. There's a definite hierarchy that's around where whoever whoever bites first is essentially the top of the pecking order or top of the totem pole, so to speak. Uh, James Woods and Daniel Baldwin are the two main guys who pick up Shirley, a prostitute, and after a bloody scenario in a house, in which they kill a lot of vampires, they are then attacked by the master vampire. Uh, Shirley's character, is Katrina, is bitten, and she is basically being used as a lure, and as well as a way to basically hone in on where the location of the master vampire is. And things kind of proceed logically from there. There's also this added uh, background of the Catholic Church being a huge... Um, mover and shaker in this development. And 
spoilers, they are also responsible for the vampire outbreak. Because they form the first vampire. And that's that's the general context for that. I recommend you watch the uh, film um, just to see more of it. Well, we're we're going to explore some more of these things um, about the film, but yeah. Yeah, so it's- admittedly, I went into both of these movies with my expectations below the ground. Because hmm. uh, I feel like these are the two movies nobody talks about. We'll get into it, but probably for good reason with one of them. Um, one of them. But I had never heard of this movie until a few months ago when it was on Prime. And Mm -hmm. I was like, ah, maybe I'll watch that, you know, because I want to see more Carpenter. But then I just never got around to it. Uh, So I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. Um, I think the characters are unlikable, but on purpose. Like, they live a very dangerous lifestyle and their personality reflects that. Um, I'd say, well, I'll I'll get into this. I really like this movie. mm -hmm. How about you, John? I liked it a lot. Um, I will be posting the rankings on Instagram later, but I put this... God, you can fact check me on this if you want, but I put Mm -hmm. this pretty much in the middle of the road. It's better than a lot of the movies that we've watched this month, but it's far from his best film. I would say, yeah, I guess somewhat far from his best film. Somewhat... But I still think it's definitely worth a watch, I would say, mm-hmm. oh. considering how close it was to the end of his career, too. And also for the fact that it did very well in Japan. That it did kind of, me. It didn't kind of well in the U.S. It, like, just barely kind of went over to give, like, some profit margin in the domestic box office. But it did, like, really well in Japan. Well, and it should be noted that this movie is another prime example of Hollywood fucking him over. Because uh, at the last minute, his budget went from $60 million to $20 million, And he had to completely rewrite the script. Which is ba- This is another uh, John Carpenter book adaptation, funnily enough. Yes, it is. Um, but, it, but it works. Despite that, I think it still works, and I think he uses it to his advantage. Well, as he often does. Hollywood fucking him over won't be an issue until the next movie we talk about because I've got a lot to say about the behind the scenes on that one. Because mm-hmm. uh, I find it hilarious and fascinating both like at the same time. Um, yeah. but, but I uh, liked the I liked the take on vampires. Um, this is a very nitpicky nitpick, but mm-hmm. I'm so tired of movies with monsters being like it's not like the way it is on TV. To a certain extent, it's there, but I do understand why it's done to a certain degree, and it's because John Carpenter would prefer to simplify. Oh, see, I I don't think that's why it's there. I understand why it's there, but it's there. It's because the 90s, and uh, because this movie is very 90s in the way that it subverts expectations. And this did a thing that I loved, because at the end of the movie, for a second there, I thought we had just magically washed away the conflict with the girl and his partner. Because I didn't realize that she wasn't cured. I thought they, like, had somehow magically made it just in time to cure her from vampirism uh, by no. killing him. And then it, then it's like, oh, no, you have two days, but then I'm coming to kill you. Spoilers for the ending of that movie. And I was like, thank you, Carpenter. <laughs> yeah. No, it was good. It wasn't a cop-out. And... I guess getting back to the characters here. So 
James Woods' character I and Daniel Baldwin are, I think, fantastic. I think the character interactions in this movie are really great, and they're really well-tempered, especially considering what he wants to do with this. This is playing to a certain energy, kind of like from dusk till dawn, to a certain degree, is how I would compare it. Um, it's not the same story, thankfully. I was afraid that it was going to be something similar. Fortunately, it is not. And the characters are distinct enough where, despite the fact that they have a similar energy, they're not the same. But a similar style, because you have the neo-noir western going to a certain degree in this film. And they're very tough, very hard-line characters, and they need to be. But there's still a bit of a distinction between uh, Jack and Montoya, um, Woods and Baldwin, respectively, because... Baldwin, despite the fact that he is still hard-lined, still is a lot more, clearly a lot more empathetic than Jack's character is. Montoya does Montoya does show a scene where he does react violently to getting bitten. I think he is justified, though. And he does, and he does become more empathetic to Katrina because he is now in a situation where they are both essentially hanging together in the same noose. But here's the thing. Is he, though, because he doesn't start acting nice until after he's bitten, and it confirms that the vampire, even though she's not, like, a master vampire, apparently her bite is enough to turn him. So he could be under her thrall the entire time. Well, he does one thing that's nice. Granted, he has to to a certain extent, operate rather coldly. But he does at least lie to her before that happens about, yes, there is a chance, if you cooperate, that we could actually, that there could be a cure if we kill the Master Vampire. At least he lies. To a certain extent, you're probably right, though. He's not really like that. But at least there is some distinction. But also not... Hmm? Interesting, because I don't think he was lying. I That's just setting up the... Because that well, doing that establishes a race against time for these characters to propel the plot forward. Well, let, let me let me rephrase. I don't think he's lying exactly, but I think he's massaging the truth because I don't think he's confident that she could actually be cured, but he at least is willing to say that there is a possibility that it could happen. But there's also that, too, which I think is probably the primary purpose of him saying that. But, yeah, it, it does definitely establish, and I'm glad he says it, because it establishes a time frame for him as well, once he gets bitten. Although, this is something, I, now that we're talking about this, I wish the film had went into. Hmm. Does he also get cured if they kill the Master Vampire? Uh, well, the thing is, technically, so here's my theory, here's my working theory here. It was only a hope, because no one could really ever know. And But the thing is now, technically, because she is in her situation, there's technically not really any real hope here, unless Montoya is willing to kill Katrina. Because now Katrina is, relative to him, his master. See, that's what I was thinking, is even if you cure her by killing the master vampire... What does that do for anyone that she's infected? Like, we don't really go into that. Well, she's only infected one person. Um, but 
the thing is, I'm actually kind of glad it doesn't, because then it leaves Baldwin with a choice, with that ambiguity. And he actively chooses, no, I'm going to try to help her and support her. Whether or not that is his will or not, that is certainly in question. And I think the ambiguity is actually a good thing in this case. See, I don't know. If there was a sequel, and there is a sequel, which I haven't watched, then that would be a place where I think that should be gotten into. But I nothing to do with the first one. I looked into them. No, it's it was, see, I I can't theoretically tell. it should be that way, but I don't think it is at all. See, I can't tell if I'm just not giving you're giving the movie too much credit, or I'm just too cynical, because I had a different read. It's just they didn't bring it up because Carpenter didn't think about it. Well. I don't know. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. We can't truly know, but I understand where you're coming from. You may be right. As I interpret it, it leaves room for interpretation, and sometimes it helps the film to just let the viewer come to its own conclusions. The only thing I I don't like about that is he's so methodical with every other piece of this vampire mythology. Although there's something at the beginning of the film that I wanted to mention as well Mm -hmm. uh, here in a minute that it seems weird to leave out that oversight of what is a th- essentially a thrall, because she's not really a vampire yet. What does curing a thrall do to anybody she's bit, since thralls can also infect people? That, like, that is that is actually an interesting question. If you're going you, to do that, yeah. yeah, if you're going to do that in your movie, at least personally for me, and this may not, and this does not by no means ruin the film for me, everyone. I still liked it a lot. But... If you're going to go so far into the mythology and explain how they originated, what their hierarchy is, and then you're going to introduce this plot point and then not talk about it, I'm going to be questioning it. <laughs> no, sure. it's I And I like it too, and I like thinking about it to a certain degree. I think it's the fact, though, that... Well, I'm disappointed by the sequel, So, but if I could make a sequel, that is something I would definitely add, I would think. Because watch, that, I think, would be an essential component to it. I'd watch another movie of um, James Wood's character just going around hunting vampires. Yeah. Uh, especially if he's he's with that pastor. Like, I think they were the strongest part of this film. Yeah, played by Tim Guinea as uh, Father Adam Gatell. I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. A, a great cast of, like, four characters working off of each other. Um, in some ways, I wish the father came in a bit earlier, or maybe, like, one scene where we kind of, like, take a cut and he's getting introduced. So I feel that some way. I also feel sometimes that because he's also a character that knows things that the main characters don't, maybe he is introduced at the right time. I would agree with you, except our point of view character is James Wood's character. And we meet him when we when our point of view character meets him. Yeah, um, you're you're probably right about that. I guess I'm just eager because I realize, oh yeah, I really like this guy. Yeah. Sure. Well, but and the, the other thing to keep in mind as well is like I like his character, but I like him for his interactions with James Wood's character. So yeah, just he, by himself, he would not be as interesting of a character. Yeah, he's the canary in the coal mine. Uh, and I. I never thought I'd say this, but I appreciated that they brought back the the boner joke at the end. No, I flipped it, it. It was great. It's, it's because we get added nuance to it, and it's like, oh, 
now we understand why it's funny to James Wood's character, and now it's funny to us now, because we get it now, and it's, it's great. And you have Father Adam kind of, like, adding to the joke at the end, too, in his own way, to give it more and more layers. And it's like, okay, yeah, this is how people actually interact. This is how they would kind of cope with the situation, because it is, a lot of this dark humor is about coping with, like, great you know, trauma, because these characters have experienced a lot of trauma. James Jack's character has also experienced a lot of trauma in his life, and this is very clear, as is very heavily implied in how he deals with people. So, the thing I noticed at the beginning is, because we're establishing how you kill vampires in the worst world by... And this is a smart move of John Carpenter's. We get to see this team working together at full efficiency before they're all killed. So they're wiping out these vampires, and it's very traditional, right? Sunlight, steaks, but they don't, but no garlic, and they don't really touch on holy water that much that I remember. No, um, they don't mention it. I don't think it's. I don't. I think it's probably lumped in with like the whole garlic stuff and whatnot. They, but here's the weird thing: if you remember correctly, at the beginning, one of the vampires is like pinned to the wall, right? And he goes to stake him, and you think he's just going to stake him in the heart, which we later establish does work. Then he stakes him in the head, and I don't know what he's doing there, because it's not going to do anything. Well, it's probably the fact of, and there might be some leeway here that I'm giving the film, but if we we know that an immediate stake does not immediately kill the vampire. He's probably yeah. wanting to cause a lot more damage rapidly and just stop a lot of stuff going in the brain, short some activity, and then just keep, because he keeps stabbing him anyway. Yeah, but then he never does it again. It, it's a minor thing. It's just something I noticed because I thought it was odd. He doesn't have a whole lot of time to do so, but we do see another situation in which he's being dragged by a zombie. Uh, a vampire, sorry. Uh, I'll forgive you. Be- no, no, I will forgive you because the zombie, the vampires in this do have a lot in common with zombies. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the one mistake with this mythology is it's too easy for them to turn people um mm-hmm. because the the way they turn people is borderline zombie yeah um but sorry what i was trying to say <laughs> um when james wood is, is being dragged by uh, a vampire towards the climax of the film he does have a situation where he's reaching for the stake and he he's also constantly targeting the head with this gun as well mm-hmm so there are so there are situations in which he will bury the attacks Especially if, if he's already caused damage to the heart, and if he, and if the vampire is not going to immediately die, then target other sections as well, just to cause more pain. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm gonna get made fun of this or crucified for this, but you gotta watch uh, Buffy after watching this, man. Speaking of crucifixions, yeah. <laughs> but into uh, this movie. yeah, but no, I get you. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting because there's obviously a religious angle to this. Um, yes. And I obviously am not very religious, so that stuff is like, I'm just looking at that as someone who is interested in the mythology and how it affects the movie. But obviously, you look at it from a very different angle. How does the mythology that he, you, how does the Christian mythology that he borrows for this film compare to the way he borrows it in, say, Prince of Darkness for you? Well, okay, so it's basic. It's not supposed to be heavily detailed because that would distract from the main plot. 
that's so that is okay. Um, okay, so Prince of Darkness is trying to be very ambitious and tries to basically adapt the idea of merging sci-fi fiction elements, sci-fi fiction, sci-fi elements into theology. Science fiction to, fiction? Yeah, I know. I just said like a, a rip and piece kind of thing. Sorry, everyone. Um, but yeah, so they tried to do a merging there of two different concepts and tried to justify it to a certain degree with like how demonic and angelic elements work to a certain degree and warnings and whatnot. Um, and it was it was zany, but it was zany on purpose. There were a lot of details to it. He was trying to be able to be very ambitious because of the studies he was doing into a lot of scientific activity and whatnot. This one, on the other hand, is a bit more of a traditional aspect of how most filmmakers kind of look at the Catholic Church specifically. The Catholic Church is often looked at as the more traditional Western church. It's very different from how things are now. Mm-hmm. And, and it's always been a gradual shift. But um, the Catholic Church is usually, you have the habit, you know, the, the, the vestments and whatnot, the priests will usually speak in Latin as they do. You're probably not going to hear like Latin being spoken by most Catholic priests nowadays, if any. Maybe a few, but maybe closer to Rome or something like that. But of course you have that sort of thing in these movies where they'll speak Latin as a form of a benediction and as a blessing and to basically give rest to the souls and whatnot. Um, but there isn't a whole, whole lot of other stuff. You also have, like, the reverse crucifixion. There are some elements and some parallels between what they do in this film and what they do in Prince Darkest, where basically it's kind of a... It's like, there's always, like, the mockery of Christ kind of thing, with where it comes with, like, the Antichrist kind of um, idea. And some of that is here in this film, Vampires, as well. Because you have the idea of, essentially, to a certain extent, the master vampire is the Antichrist, to a certain degree, is how you could interpret it with some symbolism. And he is trying to basically fulfill his dark baptism in, by basically mocking the crucifixion of Christ. So there is some of that there. This is all just my interpretation, though. Others could have a very different one. It's just so, what I see, personally, just based on the very obvious, there's a cross, crucifixion. The blood is taken. You have the Holy Grail, for instance, with the goblet, where the blood kind of comes in, and basically he has to drink the blood of a crucified person. And it's. Uh, I wonder how much yeah. of that is, is in the book and how much of that is Carpenter's own, like... Uh... I don't know oh. much about the man personally, but it seems like quite a few of his movies deal with at least some form of religion. Yes, um, quite a few do. And not all of them, but a few of them do. So, and I don't know much about, you know, like anatomy and stuff, but if you're going to hmm. crucify someone for their blood, wouldn't it be just easier to nail his hands to it and, like, collect the dripping blood? Well, depending on what they want to do with the corpse in the long term, oh, depending no. on what depending on what you want to do. So I'm not... The ritual is never completed, thankfully. So who knows what the long-term plans were. 
So depending on what they want to do, if you're nailing like the hands and the feet as you would do with as Christ was depicted and crown of thorns and whatnot. I mean, he's not some Jared cr- Leto. I know, I know. <laughs> but um, not all crucifixions had always uh, the nails and the hands and the feet. Mm-hmm. Some some of them did historically. Not all of them. Did. Sometimes it was just binding with rope. Sometimes. Well, of course, of course, the end point was is that regardless of whether they did that or not, the idea was you're going to hang him and then gradually inflict pain if you need to to make sure that he dies. Because with the Romans, um, if it turned out that a person who was crucified fainted and was collected but didn't die, then the soldiers responsible would be executed. I'm not sure how much of that's going into like this thing with the film. That's just random trivia, but. You know, well, thank I think you. we're nitpicking details to a certain degree. But hey. Well, and, and some of this, yeah, like, don't get us wrong, chat, and anybody who's listening after the fact. We're just having a discussion. A lot of this is nitpicky, just like, hey, you know, I just thought of this. Um, yeah. I don't know about you, but for a minute there, like, to- especially towards the end when he gets strung up on the cross, mm-hmm. I thought we were going to have another the bad guy wins scenario. Partly because I forgot about the pastor. Uh, I forget about him though. He was in. He was I don't in the know. Side scenes. I, I don't know. I wasn't. Or no, it wasn't. I forgot about him. It was. I didn't realize. I couldn't think of a way for him to possibly do this alone. Uh, especially because we built the entire film to show how inexperienced and well incompetent he is. Well, he was gradually showing some more competence as time went on. But also, I've but... seen John Carpenter movies. And plenty of them end with a very bad ending for our protagonists. So yeah, it wouldn't true. have surprised me if the vampires had won. Yeah. It's kind of but, what I like about his movies. But it is clever because we we have implication of there needs to be like a, a an actual priest residing over the ceremony. The vampires cannot do it themselves. Yeah. So the fact that the, um, you know, Father Adam comes in and, you know, he knows exactly what to do. And he knows exactly how to put leverage over the vampire. And there's a back and forth that goes on. It's a fantastic interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One, um, are we done with, like, plot generally? Because there is a very technical thing that I have an issue with in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I think I pretty much covered everything in the plot. I really liked the way this was written uh, and acted and directed. Um yeah, Daniel so Baldwin. It's a best and it's a good, great showing from everyone here. Everyone does what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And if this had been Carpenter's last film, I would have said he retired on uh, on a high note. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, he didn't. Nope. But what was and, your technical thing? Okay, and this is going to go into Ghost of Mars as well because I'm fairly sure you noticed this because so stylistically what he is doing and what he will continue to do in his next movie. He decides and stylistically with the vampires in certain action points where John Carpenter is in the middle of the action within present time to do fade ins and overlaps. And sometimes it's okay, but sometimes it's overindulgent and it really just breaks the flow of the pacing. Sometimes it's okay to do that, but sometimes you really just need to do regular cuts. 
and that is okay. You don't need to over vary your transitions inside of a scene. Because if you do too many fades like that, you got to do it. You got to do it sparingly, and you got to do it with purpose. And it's sometimes, and it works okay in this movie, but sometimes I have an issue with it because we don't need to see fade-ins when we're seeing the carnage on the vampires. Because sometimes I like to think that I'm actually viewing this within present time, like the, like my characters are, instead of seeing it like mm-hmm. it's a slow passage of time because it's not. And I. I didn't. I would not have as much issue with this if I didn't see it in the freaking next movie so much, and I'm getting angry <laughs> because it's like I I see I see in Carpenter's style from this movie to the next, and it just I get so mad because yeah. I see where he's doing it with this movie, and it's okay here, but. Well, I'm I'm probably going to defend Ghost of Mars a little bit when we get there, uh, but mostly for the behind the scenes stuff. I don't know if you look too far into that, but it's fascinating. Sure. Um, I, I'll get back to this point with the next movie. But the other thing I do want to I do want to you know just to talk about for very briefly, uh, and I do want you to fact check this for us. Was this composed mm-hmm. by Carpenter? Uh, vampires. Um, okay. To do. Um, soundtrack. Let me let me see. Uh, he does most of it, but there are a few exceptions. But for the most part, it's him. Um, there's there there are two artists that he uses um, for teaser. Uh, different writer, Brad Wilson. That's the only other writing credit. Otherwise, he does the rest. Um, and the artist uh, Stone. There are three other tracks by the Texas Toad Liquors. Do do, um, but it's stuff that's still written by John Carpenter. So for the most part, he has. Well, the writing credit doesn't surprise stuff. me because from what I remember, he was on the board. He was on the verge of just retiring before this film. Uh, and but he then they, have. they no, because well, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm in after. My bad. Uh, sorry, but he got handed two scripts adapting the, a novel, and he liked what he saw because he wanted to make a western horror. Yeah. Um, but then the budget got slashed, so he had to completely rewrite the script, took ideas from both scripts he had been handed, mixed it with his own, and that's what we got. Um, yeah. But yeah, I like the soundtrack quite a bit. Uh, I know that kind of redundant with the Carpenter film, because most of his scores usually work. The only film I have seen where his score does not work is Assault on Precinct 13. But I think that's because his scores are usually very horror-esque. Uh, very synth-esque, and for the movie that that's trying, or not Assault on, did I say Assault on Precinct 13? Yeah, you did. Yeah. I meant Escape from New York. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not a, yeah. And I think that score is a big part of why I don't like that movie, because it's a very boring score on an already boring movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Not to say that the score is bad. When I say boring, I just mean, that movie is trying to be an action movie, and the score is this like electro synth, very dull thing that doesn't work. That movie could be remade, and I think you. I don't think you could remake. You should remake this one. I think it's just fine. It's just fine. Make a sequel, a better sequel. Yeah, you know, do okay. do like uh, a next generation sequel. I don't know if I want to see like eighty year old James Woods hunting vampires, but. 
Well, maybe. <laughs> well, I don't know. It depends on what he wants to do, I suppose. Um, but I would say probably better to just focus on an outside group and then do maybe a... Just like another story thing. in this world. Yeah, because yeah. we don't want to go so far to the point where it's like we're just artificially like making more vampires for the sake of a story. We, the third we, can, still explore, yeah, we can still explore that. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there's we three can, of these. Uh, seriously? Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I perhaps didn't do enough research then. because I guess I just wanted to have hope and not be disappointed. Carpenter was at least somewhat involved with the second one. Uh, he he produced it, but with Carpenter, that yeah, could mean and, anything. He, he went in and got his coffee and left. That's that's what happened. I mean, that's what he did for the Fog remake. Uh, yeah. He may have consulted on the soundtrack, too. Maybe. Maybe. Um, yeah, that, that's, all the I, third that's all one, he wants about the soundtrack and getting his coffee. The that's, third one, he was just like, no. Fuck you. <laughs> but I also think I don't remember what year the second one came out, but by the third one, he's got to be like retired at just making music at that point. Um, well, if we want to talk about Ghost of Mars, we can probably get more into why he probably wanted to retire. Okay, so yeah. do you have anything um, else to say about vampires? Um, vampires. Um, just want to stress to everyone watching: it's like the last true film before his retirement. Please watch this movie. It's I would not say it's required viewing, so to speak, like essential John Carpenter. But I think it does deserve a watch for different reasons. Just to honor the amount of effort that he put into this. And I guess I'd like to retcon it as like the last great memory of John Carpenter. If, if your tastes match with mine from what I've said on this podcast so far, I would watch this instead of something like Christine or um, or maybe even The Fog. Like, I liked The Fog well enough, but I liked this movie better. Yeah, um, The Fog is boring. <laughs> well, at least I'm someone like me. But like Christine, I'm not so sure. I think Christine be... has some... I think Christine has some value, though. I think it's... that Christine... Yeah. It, it's probably B-tier Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Um... But not if only if you're going like just A B C D. If you have like an S rank, then it's an A rank Carpenter movie. Sure. I'll give it a I'll give it a B plus if I had to rank it on that way, or if I just want to give it a number for vampires, I'll give vampires a three point seven five out of five. I will give it a three point five uh, out of five, and I would absolutely watch it again. Probably, this is probably one of those with a caveat, though, is mm-hmm. I'd, I'd either have to really be in the mood for it, or I'd watch it with friends. Because as much as I do like this movie, if I'm in the mood for, like, Western horror, to be honest, I'm going to put on From Dusk Till Dawn. That's just I would say this works as a good companion piece From Dusk Till Dawn, I would say. Um, but, yeah, From Dusk Till Dawn definitely is, like, it is better, at least slightly better, I would say. Well, and I like, um, like you mentioned, these have similar like energies. I think From Dust Till Dawn has a much more manic tone to it, especially in the second half when it becomes a vampire movie. Oh, sure, yeah, and absolutely. I love that manic like it's batshit crazy. <laughs> yeah. All right, so next up on the uh, on our list is the final Carpenter movie. Although 
to be fair, we can't really say that because he did do a movie in 2010 that we're not doing. Uh, um, maybe for at some point we'll get into it. Maybe for, for completionist sake, because we're also going to be doing Halloween later this year. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll do that one because I am curious. Like I can't not be curious, you know. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, uh, his retirement film, uh, Ghost of Mars. Um, this this movie is is John Carpenter just doing schlock because he doesn't care. He he does not care. Um, so yeah. So this movie is about a group of marines or cops or something. Uh, I that... guess we could consider them federal officers, I suppose. That go to Mars to pick up an escaped convict. Or not an escaped convict. A a suspected murderer who apparently has, has escaped a murder charge three times before this. I guess the idea is, is that we're having a prisoner in transit, mm-mm, mm-mm. or some, or he's going from jail to trial, or something. So, from what I remember, because I watched this one first, they are going because he has been arrested for murder again, but this is the third or fourth time that he has been arrested. I don't remember why they're coming to pick him up. If it's like they're supposed to be taking him back to Earth. Or whatever. Feel free to fact check on this if you'd like. I don't um, want to, honestly. I don't really care. <laughs> guys, this movie if, made me not care. If, if we are wrong, I apologize. This movie's not great. I'll get into why I kind of like it later on. Um, but the lead federal officer, whatever, is played by the girl from Species. Um Milton, have you ever seen those movies? I I know of them. I have not seen them. And honestly, <laughs> I'm not sure I want to, if I'm going to be honest. But um, the first if we one, get into it, we will. But... The first one is very much a shitty script, elevated by like an all-star cast. That doesn't sound good at all. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's an alien ripoff. Like, well, I'll call it like this. This is a shitty movie that is elevated by A-list actors. But it's not. I'm getting it's B-list, so it's even worse. Well, but so. keep in mind, the species has like Ben Kingsley, Alfred Molina, Michael Madsen, uh, like actual A-list actors. <laughs> um, but anyway, sure. Um, and then when they get there, they find that this like spirit or something that has been on Mars all the time, this whole time has escaped. People get possessed. People die. It's a 2001 horror movie. Yeah, you see the bones of some of Carpenter's uh, general stuff, like he'll do the whole possession thing. He has some of the sci-fi elements as well. You see that there was... I see some scraps of stuff where he probably did care at one point. But it's overshadowed by so much. Oh, and I'll, I'll get into when he <clears throat> cared uh, later. Um, so, I like the bones of this movie. Uh, a bunch of people trapped in a building, and people getting possessed, and you don't know if you can trust them or not. Um, I I like the lead marine lady, the species lady. I liked her well enough in this movie. 
But I'm also judging her by what this movie is, which is a B movie. Um, obviously, she's not great uh, when you just like compare her to you know regular movies. It's not really given much of a budget of a B movie. Well, I guess it kind of is, but it's definitely one of the more on the more expensive end. You could have done better, which is what you could say about a lot of portions uh, I, of this film, anyway. But see, I'm gonna fight you on that one because you gotta remember that this is this is like early 2000s. I think this I, is. I on- guess so. Sure. So I guess you could look at inflation. I guess. Um, well, but also this is pretty much on par for what we were making in the early 2000s. Um, this, at least budget-wise, looks about the same as, like, say, 13 Ghosts, uh, or the House of Haunted Hill remake from 99. Um, I don't know we anything... Have, we had lower standards, I guess, for horror films at this point. Well, okay, so, I, I guess it's my turn to give a little history lesson. Um, sure, go ahead, man. <laughs> I, I would actually like to hear that. It, it would be more interesting than recounting this film. And some of this I haven't looked at in a while, so if anybody wants to fact check me in the comments, feel free. But this is, yeah, this is very much, horror has its ebbs and flows, right? 90s is is a flow, because you get Scream, you get H2O, despite how you feel about that movie, it was successful, people liked it at the time. And then everyone tried to flood the market by doing a Scream ripoff. Everything has to be meta. Everything has to be funny. It's all aimed at teenagers. I think Gavin in the Woods <laughs> kind of addressed that too, um, which is a film I have seen. Oh, nice. So. Uh, and then, and then basically horror just kind of went back under in the late nineties, and basically stayed there from the late nineties to two thousand three. So this is in that period between Halloween H2O and Saw, where horror was, it was all aimed at teenagers. We didn't take risks. Plus, to be fair to this movie, this is a very compromised production. Um, in 2001. Yeah. Um, once you're more familiar with the franchise as well, uh, it'll be interesting to see how you feel about this compared to something like Jason X. Because these two, those two movies are kind kind of similar in their tone. Uh, Jason X has a little more comedy to it, though, which I think helps. I would I would say comedy <laughs> would help this film considerably. So, if you don't know, this movie started as the third film in the Escape From trilogy. Yeah, and that was that is what shocked me. What shocked me is that this was, I guess, is kind of a, if I'm interpreting this correctly his kind of attempt of trying to redeem himself after escape from LA. So, okay. And so then it turned into something else. From what, what I have read, this film started as escape from Mars, mm-hmm. but I don't think it was a redemption because when he wrote, when he pitched escape from Mars, LA hadn't come out yet. LA came out and it flopped and the okay. studio got cold feet. Gotcha. So he, I don't know how much of this is from that original pitch of Escape from Mars. What I do know is Kurt, he still wanted Kurt Russell to be in it, even if it wasn't a third film in that series. Sure. And the studio said, no, he's not a bankable star. We are mandating Ice Cube be in this film. Which was, uh, yeah, 
Think of how that went, guys. Yeah. Like, Ice Cube... Okay, I don't hate Ice Cube. He's not good in this movie, but I think he's okay in comedy. Ice Cube is a better rapper than he is an actor. I, His... I'll take your word for that. I don't listen to rap that much, other than, like, Eminem. Um, but I think I think he, his strong suit is in comedy because, you know, he's got that, like, tough guy act. Sure. But it's only believable in a comedy because everybody's stupid. <laughs> in that this... really is just the best uh, tone for that sort of thing because otherwise, in a serious film, it doesn't work at all. Because in this film, they're trying to get me to believe that he's, like, a murderer. Um, and they want me to believe his friendship with Species Lady, uh, Natasha Hendrick. Hendrick? Hendrick. Henstridge. Yeah. Um, and I don't buy it. And I also don't buy that she escapes possession by snorting drugs. That oh, was is that what happened? I don't even remember. Okay, so I don't know if you remember, but at the beginning of the movie when they're first getting there, they set up that she's like high as a kite, right? I tried to under yeah, I I tried to remember when I kept watching through the film, but I got buried in layers of unnecessary narration. And fades. Yeah, so at the beginning of the movie, we set up that she's a drug addict. And then we bring that back in the film because she gets possessed. And somehow the drugs she takes, she takes some. And it frees her from being possessed by whatever these creatures are. It's hilarious. It, Or at least it would be hilarious if the film was self-aware. By film, I mean movie. Because this, this is not a film. Um, but... <laughs> The thing is, okay, I say that comedy would have helped this film. There are elements that are, can definitely be comedic a lot, actually. The problem is, is that the film plays it almost completely straight, and it just makes it really awkward to watch. And it it gets annoying. Um, like, we see a situation where um, uh, Natasha Henstridge is, like, being basically being thrown at gunpoint by Ice Cube's gang. And she manages to trap them in the cage and kind of get leverage over them. It's like a, it's a Looney Tunes sketch, but she but the movie plays it completely straight. And it's like and this is this is at a point where it's like okay I'm I'm done by this point I can't. You gotta stop. You gotta be self aware here because otherwise because it doesn't it doesn't work. The tone is all wrong. It's all mixed up. It's all jumbled. But most of it's like played straight in the moment, and it it's very it's almost humorless, unfortunately. At least that's my opinion on the thing. Sorry, Don. Don't mean to draw drown you out on this, because um, I know you have definitely have a lot more to say about the pre-production. I mean, the, most of it is just about it being a, a sequel to Escape from L.A., which I haven't seen. I kind of want to because Bruce Campbell has an appearance, and you know I love me some Bruce Campbell in the film. Uh, yeah, but sorry, I was responding to Austin. Uh, hmm. His words yeah. just, like, fucking him over. I feel bad. Yeah, that's the reason why we don't have the Dacos here, everyone. It's just, <laughs> it, it sucks because we, um, we didn't want to be without him for, like, half of this uh, month, but it's just it is what it is. out of our control. Like the production of... <laughs> I would really happens. like to see what the original pitch for was for this, because I cannot imagine this film being in the same universe as Escape from New York. <laughs> no. 
And I wonder how much of this would have been the way it is if he had gotten to make the movie he wanted to make. Because you well, could tell he doesn't care. Well, if the idea was fades because of his experience in his last movie with like vampires, then I don't know. Maybe he's deliberately trolling me and people like me specifically because we notice these things and we get really annoyed. When that sounds just, like Carpenter. Yeah, maybe he's doing it specifically to annoy me. Because just this film, I kept track. There are so many points where you'll just, in present scene, just fade in and overlap. Sometimes just through walking. And I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Why? <laughs> But he does it all the time in this movie. Would you like some cheese to go with that wine? It, uh, yeah. I, um, I'd also like it to go without like unnecessary layers of narration where we had the first film be... Uh, the first, Sorry, the first portion of this movie is we have a narration thing where she recounts it. I think it works man. against the pacing of this movie. And then we have narration inside of narration. And then we have certain sections where you could not possibly tell... You cannot well, I mean, tell a board of people what you were, what were you're seeing here. That it makes no well, sense. Well, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I almost forgot. Like I said, I enjoy this movie on a very superficial, like dumb fun. This is really stupid level. I like a lot of them. I like a lot of those movies. Just wait till we get into some of the other schlock on our list. Um, but the framing design, the framing okay. device for this movie makes no sense. We have like. Inception level flashbacks. <laughs> like, because, like, so this whole movie is a flashback, right? But then characters inside the flashback will have a flashback <laughs> that she can't possibly be describing. It's like, how could she hear these things? When did she have the time to hear these things? And how in the world could you even, if you even, it's a game of telephone. You know Here's, here's an idea. Here's my theory for this movie. It's unreliable narrator, and nothing that we see is actually real. Let's go along with that here. Maybe that'll make the movie more interesting. I don't know, but the I don't believe it. I think the film is trying to have its cake and eat it, too, with a lot of different things. And with how this narration thing works, and just... I mean, I, I got some bad news for you, buddy. This is by far not the worst movie we're going to end up covering on this show. Oh, that's fine. Um, at this point, I'll take a break from Carpenter, and, and I'd be fine well, with enjoying something ironically. But this just, because I can see of the history behind Carpenter's work, this particular thing makes me frustrated. Well, as and, and I have to, to say, the, as much as I've enjoyed this event, I, this whole, like, yeah. Carpenter month, I will be glad to kind of move on, because it'll be nice to get some variety. Uh, I'm not saying all of his movies are the same, but after a while you start to notice like little ticks that he does. And yeah. and sometimes it can be a pleasant experience to notice, notice these things for films. Yeah. And then you get to movies like this. <laughs> and then it's like everything that you loved about it is now being perverted. And it just, it becomes disturbing to someone like me. If um, you can manage to enjoy this film, great. Thank you. I wish I was you. My, my favorite part is where they 
where they want me to believe that Ice Cube is like this hardcore like murderer that has somehow escaped a murder charge for three for three different times. Maybe regular Ice Cube, maybe. <laughs> but um, like I said, I liked I liked the main Marine Lady um, well enough. Uh, the one Marine Lady, no, because uh, I don't know anyone's names in this movie. I don't care. Like this is a turn your brain off film. Um, but the one Marine Lady with like the short blonde hair, you know who I'm talking about. Mm. Uh, she's in a couple other movies that I really like, so it was kind of cool to see her pop up in this one. No, I could, I could, I recognize a few of these actors. Um, if I bother looking at the casting here, um. I actually recognize a few of these people. I do recognize Ice Cube, obviously. I also did recognize Natasha Henstridge from other things. Jason Statham, obviously, yeah. is a big pull. Jason, if you make Jason Statham act that way, you are you know you're doing something wrong, because he was completely okay. uncharismatic in this movie. Oh, okay, but, like, let's be honest. He's not that great of an actor, like... Here's the thing. No, no, I have seen him... Sorry, I'm just getting a noise alert. Um, anyway, sorry. As I was saying, he has been in some great works, and he has actually been a great contribution to the cast. Granted, his acting range is limited, and that's the thing. Because his acting range is limited, you don't want to put him in the situations that the movie is putting him in, and it gets... Because I've seen him in, like, uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, um, uh, I think Snatch, I think, is another great great movie with him in it as well. Um, or if you just know him in general culture, he's in the Best of Jury's films. At least he he's typecast for that. At least he's doing his job there. Ghost yeah, of Mars he's in the makes worst him, one. Ghost of Mars makes Jason Statham a pervert. So, the other scene that really made me laugh is we build up the entire movie that Jason Statham won't stop hitting on Species Girl. And then all of a sudden, she, like, flips her switch and is like, yeah, okay. And I was like, what? <laughs> I don't know, like, stuff like stuff like these movies, because just from the poster, I knew what I was in for. Like, have you seen the cover of this movie? Yeah. So, it's, it's... <laughs> I was okay. like... Kung Fu movie. I was like, okay, you know what? Bring it on. Like... But that that just made me laugh because it was out of nowhere. Like she's been rejecting him the entire movie, and then she's like, "Okay." Yeah, it's, it's just um, it's just a huge darn old shame. This this is the number one movie of his that I like. Stop trying to remake the thing in the fog and you know assault on Precy. Remake this with somebody who likes who can see a movie here because there is a good movie here. Yeah, or find someone who has a passion for Escape from New York, understands yeah. how he would try to improve that upon that idea. You know what I just realized? Understand, understand the legacy and then actually try to do something good with this. You know what I just realized, though? Hmm. Uh, so in a way, this is John Carpenter ripping himself off. Because this is just a sci-fi version of Assault on Precinct 13. Hmm. I don't know if you've seen that movie. No, but I will. will. uh, So the basic premise of that movie is uh, 
a cop in a building, cop in a convict. And a convict and a bunch of druggies are, are like criminals after them. This is yeah. the same like concept, just done badly. Yeah. It's incredibly badly. It's incredible because we have so many good things in this movie that you can do, and they do none of them. And, and you know, I, I know that like trashing John Carpenter is heresy. Um, no, I'm I'm not going to even trash Car- John Carpenter well, no. in this case. He he was completely de incentivized from doing anything. With well, I don't blame him. Hold on, let me let me finish my thought there, buddy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't blame him for the way this movie turned out. But if he didn't want to make the movie, then just walk away. Like, I I I forgive him. I don't hold a blame on him for the movie itself. I will blame him for finishing a movie that he obviously didn't want to make. Well, I don't know. It depends on how you look at it. Maybe he wanted to at least stick with it because he felt he was obligated to. Maybe that was his mentality. And to be fair, there might be things behind the scenes that we don't know about that made him have to finish the movie. I'm going in from a layman's term of knowing just about how like the studio screwed him over with this production. Um, but yeah, if, if there's something like that, I don't know about, uh, please let us know, uh, either in the comments or on Twitter or however, I would love to know if there's a reason that he stuck to this film. We'll take whatever news or whatever sort of supplementary material we'll take on this. I would love it. It would hopefully cause some, maybe show some closure on this on this trauma I have experienced. <laughs> well, at least this is not his last movie anymore. Yeah, that's, that is true. But yeah. his, his last movie has Amber Heard in it. Um, I, how, yeah, and... However you feel about Amber Heard. Um, yeah. I like the soundtrack in this movie a lot, too. It's got this, like, metal feel to it. Um, some of it I like, some of it I feel doesn't work. Um, but there is a consistency. So. so if there's one like thing I do I do appreciate that came from this movie, it's the soundtrack. I might check and see if that's on Spotify. Um, Who knows? Maybe none of the none of the characters in this movie are developed beyond archetypes. Mm-hmm. Um, Some don't even get archetypes at all. And and I wonder if that's part of why I like this movie. Is it does kind of remind me about the of those. Like I said, early two thousands horror movies that I just I grew up watching, because um, we're still like when this movie came out, we're still in that slump of like the next big thing hasn't hit yet, hmm. which turned out to be Saw and uh, what eventually became known as torture porn, borderline um, yep. snuff film. I love the Saw movies. I unabashedly love those movies. They're Jigsaw is the best like non-comic book comic book villain, if that makes sense. Sure. I, uh, I mean snow film in terms of like the derivative stuff, not necessarily saw itself. Might be just as a clarification. But, uh, yeah. See, I, yeah, I just kind of ignored it because, like, I don't know. I, I get what you're saying, but I've also seen slasher movies, and like, I guess if you're gonna call anything a snuff film, it'd be those. I guess I'm more or less talking about a Serbian film and stuff like that. That's its own. And That's I'm just so putting that out, this out here for anybody listening. There's almost no movie that we will not cover 
I refuse to watch a Serbian film. I and flat out is, refuse. That is completely understandable, honestly. <laughs> I am with you. Uh, so, even... Even if for whatever reason you donated to the channel and requested that movie, it ain't happening. Just know that uh, we'll refund you. Yeah. Out of respect. We will refund you and it will not happen. I don't want to sit through that and I would not ask anybody else to sit through that. It might have some artistic merit to it. It will be fair, at least in admitting that. Maybe. But... Certain films are also meant to be enjoyed to a certain degree, and I don't think we're going to. No. Um, but yeah, we we will do Saw and Hostel at one point. Nick will, or Milton will probably hate me for it, but <laughs> I don't well, care. I, I love those Saw movies. Well, I will. We'll see. We'll see. Never say that. I, I never like to just go out of my way to like not enjoy a film before I watch it. I wanted to give some room to go to Mars, but I couldn't at the end. I have to say, this is the hardest movie we've talked about since, like, the Bye Bye Man, because it's such an, it's like, it's nothing. It's just an hour. That's the other thing. How are these two the longest Carpenter films on our list? Every other one of his movies are what, like an hour and a half? Around. Around there. When I saw that these were both two hours, now Vampires slightly justifies its runtime. I still think you could trim that down a little bit. Ghost of Mars does not justify a two-hour runtime. Ghost of Mars is a crapshoot. Um, in my personal opinion, for horror films and a lot of films, an hour and a half is like the golden point. Anything longer than that, you have to justify that length, in my opinion. Anything shorter than that, I don't even know if that's like a movie. That's like a TV movie, you know? Um, but yeah, I'm I'm gonna give Ghost of Mars a 1.5, and I would watch it again despite my low rating. Uh, I gotta rate it critically, and of course this does not work critically, but I think there is some enjoyment to be had if you enjoy schlock. Um, as long as you can separate it from this is a John Carpenter film, because as much as I I hate to I hate to say it sound like an asshole, he's above this material. Yes, he absolutely is. Um, if I had to give a rating to this, um, I'll rate it the same as you, because I'll give some credit to some of the technical elements in this movie. There are some creative kills and dismemberment, so if you like that, sure. Otherwise, it's not worth a watch, in my opinion. There are funny, <laughs> there are funnier bad films out there, personally, if I, if I had to look for that stuff. And it'll and be a while before we do another one of these events film things, just to keep it, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, fresh and var- varied. But, you know, yeah. a, a bad movie month wouldn't be a bad idea. Sure. That, that would be find, nice. find the, like, lowest rated movies on Rotten Tomatoes under the horror genre. But until then... But until then... Um, uh, I believe that is going to be it for us tonight. Um... I think I think we we went about the usual time. I'm uh, I'm actually surprised we got out as much out of these movies as we did. Sure. Uh, very simple, simple films. Not in a and not that's not always a bad thing. I think it, vampires really benefits from that simplicity. Something like Ghost of Mars does not. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, guys, don't forget to check out the Days Gone Let's Play 
And I will be starting a Last of Us playthrough on Twitch, maybe tomorrow, depending on how much energy I have. Milton, of course, is welcome uh, to join if he would like to provide some commentary. <laughs> I think we broke him, chat. Uh, I think we broke him. Um, no, I'm, I'm still intact. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to like Ghost of Mars break me. I will find a movie that breaks you. You will probably find one at one point. <laughs> but it is not today. Um, and is there any closing out statements that you would like to make, Milton? Um, all I'd like to say is, do we want to talk about what we want to do next episode? Ah, yes. So, this I'm not considering this an event month, just because it's more of just a... He- to borrow from a channel that we both watch, it's kind of like a He Made Me Watch thing. Um... <laughs> Now, I do want to put the caveat, and I guess I'm also announcing this. I have a guest lined up to do The Shining and Dr. Sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, So if he is available, Milton, we will be doing that over your picks. No offense, but, you know, he's not available all the time. None taken. I would welcome his company. If that is not, and we're being cryptic because obviously we want to leave it some surprise. Mm -hmm. Um, If we are doing your picks, though, next week, Milton... What are we doing? We are launching into something that this channel has not done before. We're going into animated content, specifically from Japan. Japanese anime. Adapted from a series of novels, we will possibly be watching Vampire Hunter D and its sequel, Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust, two Japanese anime films. One in the 80s and one in the 2000s. Interesting. I think I think Bloodlust is in the 2000s. I'm fairly sure it is. I'd have to look at it again. And then I will have a letterboxed ranking of the Carpenter films uh, that we have watched. As Some of those I. will be movies that uh, we have not... Yeah, I was getting there. Um, some will be movies that we didn't cover. It's just the general Carpenter movies that we've seen. Uh, I will be posting this on Instagram. I have lists for me, Austin, and Milton Manthing. Uh, so check us out on Instagram. It's Haven underscore of horror. Um, and check us out on Twitter and Twitch at Haven of Horror. Let us know what you guys think about not only these two movies, but any other Carpenter movies. Uh, I know, like I said, again, I know we skipped Halloween, but we're saving that for a more appropriate time of the year. We missed out on quite a few like topical things too. Like we could have done Kong and Godzilla uh, before the new movie came out, but it is what it is. We appreciate everybody who hung out, and we will talk at you guys next week with either Vampire D and its sequel, or The Shining and Doctor Sleep. Have a great week. <laughs>